0: Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Friday the 13th of May, but fear not, it's not all bad news because yesterday here at York Racecourse, where I'm coming from today, we saw a potential star. We asked earlier in the week, was Sir Michael Stout about to unleash the next Derby superstar? And the answer we got was quite probably as Desert Crown stormed to victory in the Dante Stakes here on the middle day of the Dante Festival. Final day today, Lydia Hislop is alongside me. Um, Lydia, how impressed were you by Desert Crown yesterday?
1: I thought he was really good, that was just his second start, Um, it looked like a competitive Dante field um, and I thought that he dealt with it very, very well indeed. Some signs of greenness in the latter stages just going out a little bit to his right but I'm sure he'll have learned plenty from that and I was also taken with how sort of quietly serenely confident sir michael stout was after the race
0: yes and the significance was not lost on the crowd here at york that sir michael was back on a race course he's had a, a very difficult couple of years with the loss of his longtime partner coral pritchard gordon and sort of trying to keep the show on the road a, a reduction in numbers of horses and clearly a, a man who's been around for such a long time is going to have an, an awful lot of popularity and is going to be a big draw come derby day
1: yeah he absolutely was and there was a great deal of affection for him yesterday I think you could hear it from the the crowd around the winners enclosure I mean York is the kind of place where the race goes here you know, do understand they follow the sport day in, day out. They're not just here uh, for, for a day out. You can tell that because they were five, six, seven deep around the paddock uh, for, prior to the Dante to look at the horses, and afterwards they wanted to express their affection for Sir Michael Stout in the Winners' Enclosure. I think also amongst the people who work with him, you know, fellow trainers and jockeys, and even the media, I think we were all so pleased to see him back on a race course. That was a record equaling with Sir Henry Cecil's seventh success in the Dante, and he's taken two of those previous winners on to Derby Glory and also a horse that's been beaten there in workforce on to Derby Glory so it is a a race that he uses really well as a stepping stone and he said that the horse he thinks is well balanced so will handle Epsom, he seemed to be confident that he would stay, he's a son of Nathaniel, I'm so pleased to see what Nathaniel is doing now, it's absolutely fantastic and quite right given how good a racehorse he is, he was and now he's proving himself as a sire as well, Um, so yeah I, I think I think he will stay? Um, his half siblings previously have only gone to Archipenko. Um, some of them stayed, some of them were quick. I think he shapes as though he will get a mile and a half. So Michael Statt thinks he's well balanced. He's good. I, oh, the other thing, interesting thing, he said actually was they had a small setback around about February, which meant that they couldn't get him to the track any earlier than here. They didn't rush him, but he was ju- just about ready for this. So you would expect reasonably quite a large step forward between this run and his next one, which will hopefully be in the Kazoo Derby.
0: Yeah, absolutely. A couple of points, uh, Julian. Dollar who runs Newsalls Park Stud got in touch with me last night it was very cross with me because I pointed out that Nathaniel was covering national hunt mares I mean it is the truth he does cover some national hunt mares um, but obviously they want to market him primarily as a flat stallion which is quite right it's just a question of supply and demand and they've got to make a, make the books balance as well um, of course he's had Enable, he's had Lady Bothork so he's had a fast filly as well and now he's got a very good colt which is probably what was missing on his, on his portfolio to this point but as I couldn't agree with you more it is good to see a horse who was a top quality mile and a half horse being a great sire was actually standing in the winner's enclosure with representatives from the um, jra from from japan mm-hmm. and i said when will we ever learn and they nodded sagely <laughs> as if to say yeah we've been doing this we've been doing this stamina breeding for for a little while now richard kingscote was the rider you bear in mind sir michael stout's previous derby winning jockeys walter swinburne kieran fallon ryan moore of course he's also used gary stevens amongst others in derbies this is a big moment for richard kingscote's career
1: Yeah, and I think he was aware of that. He was aware of it going into the race yesterday. He was certainly aware of it afterwards. He's... Um, quite a calm character, isn't he? He doesn't seem to be someone who gets gets particularly flustered, but I think the significance at the moment was, was very clear to him and it will be very exciting for him to be going to Epsom with a horse that's this good and to be riding it. That's going to be really great for his career, I think.
0: No joy for Frankie Dettori in the colours of Bjorn Nielsen on Magisterial, who came up short as a Derby contender, but he'll be sporting those colours again today in the Yorkshire Cup as Stradivarius bids to... Um, get his season off on the best possible note en route to um, trying to regain his gold cup crown at Ascot. It'll be very interesting to see how he gets on today.
1: It really will be. He's um, beaten in five starts at York, even though Frankie Ittori has said in the past that he doesn't think York particularly suits him as well as, say, Goodwood does. And clearly, up until last year, he was the enduring star-stayer, 2018, 2019, 2020. Last year, he was deposed by subjectivists primarily. Of course, he didn't ended up not having a full season because of injury, but also latterly by Trushan. Connections, of course, likely to blame that on the um, autumn ground, you know, the deep ground. He's only got little feet. Um, and it means that he he, uh, sinks in. That's their argument. But of course, one of his best performances in the Ascot Gold Cup was in very soft ground. I personally think that ground isn't an excuse for him. I just think that he is a more attainable standard of ability these days.
0: Well, here's an interesting one as far as today's concerned. uh, The horses he's meeting yeah, they are of significant calibre, but whereas normally in this race he meets stayers and he can outdo them for a turn of foot, mm. in this race he's meeting horses whose best performances have come at slightly shorter distances. It's unlikely he's going to have a turn of foot that's going to outpoint a horse like Max Vega, for example, or the former Dante winner, Thunderous. Um, and he's got very good stayers against him, Tash can and Search for a Song.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think it's not going to be straightforward. I think the dangers come from all angles, and as you point out, for different reasons. Thunderous is interesting. I thought he took a good step forward when second behind Hamish in the Ormond. It was interesting to hear Charlie Johnston talking afterwards about as this horse gets older, he takes more to get fit year on year. So again, you would anticipate another good step forward. And and yeah, he could be a, a major threat, I think, in these particular circumstances.
0: Looking ahead to the weekend, there's the French 1000 and French 2000 Guineas be hearing from Francis Graffard, the trainer, in a few moments' time. The feature race in the UK is the lock Stakes at Newbury. It, it should be straightforward for Baid, shouldn't it, on what we know, the unbeaten horse from last year?
1: Yeah, I, I think it should be. On official ratings, he is £7 clear. Obviously, Alcohol Free has the Phillies allowance, but she has to overcome what was a poor run, And the market knew it was going to be a poor run in the Bet365 mile at Sandown uh, last month. Um, And it's. It'd be interesting to see what kind of course is plotted with Andrew Boarding with alcohol-free um, this season, because is he going to persist at the mile and uh, stick to the likes of, running into the likes of Baid. He's also got a platinum Jubilee stakes entry over six furlongs, which is very intriguing, which suggests that he might be in, in two minds about a horse yeah. who showed her best form absolutely over a mile, won the Chiefly Park, yes, as a juvenile, but last season she was mixing it with very, very good milers.
0: Yeah, certainly when he spoke to me on the podcast before the Bet365 Mile at Sandown, he was saying, yeah, look at the Platinum Jubilee, might look at the July Cup and then go back up for the foray. I think he's looking at that. And maybe the Breeders Cup Mile. So it's all ambitious stuff but even if she gets well beaten by Baid you just want to see her show a little bit more don't you
1: yeah absolutely you do Uh, he he might even think of taking in the City of York back here at at, at Group 2 potentially I know it's Group 2 not Group 1 but nonetheless it might fit in nicely with the season Mother Earth is the other one she is a a solid Group 1 performer none of these horses and there's real world as well theoretically but none of these horses appear to have the star quality so far that Baid did and Baid looked as though he might have more to give in this season It's, it's cut up to to be not as competitive as it looked at one point. I'm sure William Haggis is absolutely delighted. I mean, he's had a great week here at, at York, particularly Lilac Roads win in the Middleton. That would have been absolutely superb uh, for him as she's taken a huge step forward, looking as though she might want to do better again over a mile and a half.
0: Yeah, William Haggis has got his team rolling. You mentioned the City of York, of course. If that gets upgraded to a Group One, um, which it might do in due course, that will sort of alter targets for horses like alcohol-free. I know William Darby and his team here at York are very, very keen for that upgrade and will pile money into the race to try and ensure that that happens. Um, Highfield Princess, of course, was second in the race last year, wasn't she, to Space Blues. So the mm-hmm. form looking looking okay from last year's edition. Talking of York this week, the crowds were a little down. Um, the crowds at Chester were a little down last week. That's quite concerning for two of the country's most sort of charismatic, inventive and enjoyable venues to to go racing?
1: Yes, I think so. And it's not just them, of course. The Lincoln meeting, the national hunt finale at Sandown, albeit that was blighted by uh, train line closures at Eastshire, which made it difficult for people to, to get there. The Craven meeting was down as well. I mean, Chester quite significantly down, 20,000 people over the, the three days. And York has been down, down 2,500 people on each of the two days so far. That's despite advance sales being up 2% on the Wednesday 6% on the Thursday and 8% on the Friday. So I think people have just changed their habits in terms of walkups, might have booked in advance. They got into the habit of it during COVID. But that hasn't translated to an overall increase in attendances. In fact, it's a de- decrease, and there's been a big fall in the number of walkups. You can p- point out individual issues like the weather, particularly yesterday. I mean, it wasn't that great. Sorry, the weather on Wednesday in particular wasn't that great on Thursday. Again, it's going to be windy and cold. You know, it hasn't been a, a lovely summer like spring so far you can point to the you know the train line issue at at, at Isha but none of these things really add up to the total which is that it is a very challenging environment at the moment and I think lots of um, leisure industries are feeling it i'd like to understand how horse racing is standing up compared to other sports and other leisure industries that you and i were discussing yesterday how do you sort of really drill down into what impact covid has actually had that would be quite interesting to find out
0: yeah and i think it's sort of changed people's habits there's no doubt about that and things that were habitual have ceased to become habitual so you almost in every leisure pursuit have to start from scratch mm-hmm. begin all over again to attract mm-hmm. your your punters because they're not all going to come back and of course cost of living is steepling yeah. you know it, if it's costing you 100 quid every time you have to fill your car up how far are you going to want to drive to go to go racing
1: yeah i think all of these are issues and it's only going to get worse with the cost of living crisis getting worse and worse you know the predictions becoming quite dire people will have less expendable cash racecourses are are going to have to perform well in that environment and horse racing is going to have to perform well one of the reasons is getting good horses here and York have tried hard I mean their prize money is strong Um, you know there are some handicaps that you know you might for a similar type of race might find more money elsewhere but in terms of their group racing um, and their banner handicaps they they perform very strongly there have been a couple of worrying field sizes this week and so you definitely want the horses so that people will turn up but you also want the race day experience and uh, i mean york is one of the exemplars of a race day experience i think um i've sort of tasted um being an ordinary inverted commas race goer at various different levels in york i've spent um, days in the silver ring i've spent days you know in a in a box and all of those different things so i've I've had the full panoply of experiences here i think it does the job well and i think you can have a good day out here no matter what you've got available to spend i don't think that's true at all race courses And I think that, you know, racecourses, frankly, need to buck up their ideas from a customer standpoint.
0: Yeah, I think their level of imagination um, and inventiveness is going to be significantly tested over the coming weeks and months.
1: And, you know, if I think back to, I mean, if I think back to Newmarket, you know, um, there were food outlets that were closing halfway through the day. It was, you know, it's quite hard to get hold of, you know, proper food and drink. At the spring meeting at Epsom, you know, parts of the, around the, the um, parade ring were under construction for Epsom, uh, for the for the Derby meeting. I, I don't know, I, I think that people ought to go and, people who run race courses ought to go and have a, a few days as, a, as, a, as an ordinary customer and see what it's, it's actually like, because I think they would come back with the impression that they could do better.
0: Well, no doubt the most um, enriching piece of global horse racing news over the last 24 hours is the story that, very elegant, the star Australian mare and a regular feature in our uh, TRC Global Top 10 is going to come to be trained in Europe, specifically in France, in Chantilly, by Francis Graffard. Um, Chris Waller has said he's very proud uh, of the mare and uh, he relishes every second of time he's spent with her, but is, is now happy with the ownership group to pass the bass on to Francis, uh, the ownership group saying that uh, they really want to give her the best shot of having a, a proper crack at races in Europe, which might include the Arc de Triomphe. Well, Francis is with me now. Um, Francis, how, how did you find find out and how, how did you react to the news? Good morning,
2: Nick. Um well very... Uh I react very well. I was very, I was surprised first, and then uh, very honored, really, uh, because of the challenge.
0: Uh, and it is a, a challenge, a, almost a, a unique one. Um, what sort of what sort of instruction have you been given by the owner? What do they want to achieve?
2: Uh, they were very, uh, they were very good um, to tell me that uh, they are they are completely conscious about. the um, about the challenge and how uh, uh, it's a big task, uh, uh, they are asking the, the mayor and uh, and my team, and they say, "Look, we uh, you know about that. So she will have to adapt to Europe, and you don't have to adapt to her. Uh, and you have. Uh, they give me all their trust and uh, say, you try your hardest, do what you know what to do, and uh, and then uh, we will hopefully we can have a, a very good, a lot of fun in Europe with her.'"
0: I mean, you you've seen her races. You've watched her do what she's done. She's incredibly versatile as regards distance. In your in your own mind, what do you see as her ideal European circumstances? Her ideal European setup?
2: I think. Uh, but the good thing is she has she's handling a softer ground, which can help us for our turn campaign. So that was a, a, one of the first concern. Then. Um, uh, the owner said to me that she was a bit keen in the, uh, in her in races in the early part of her career. So we will have to tell her how to settle uh, and into the rhythm of European racing. Ideally, I think uh, 10 furlong group one with good pace uh, will be uh, ideal. As you know, she starts a season of a 7 furlong and then mile, 10 furlong and then longer distance. So it's very European. Uh, australian style of campaigning horses which we don't really do in europe so maybe it would be interesting to see if if i can do that also uh in the Phillies asking for this uh, and it would be interesting for me to learn something different too so i just need to see the field is a good point is they're planning to send her quite early which will help me to get around her and understand her and for her to settle in before we can start campaigning uh, with her.
0: So, realistically, if all went well, what would you be looking at in terms of a, a European start date?
2: Uh, middle of the summer, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it be will it be the Nassau? Would it be uh, in Deauville for a Phillies race? Uh, and then the uh, uh, Jean Romanet for, it can be a race for her, um, you know. Or if I can start her earlier in the Rothschild of a mile on the straight course at Deauville, and also she will have to adapt to the undulation of European track, you know, uh, uh, which will be a uh, different for her, also. So there's a lot of um, question marks, but uh, that's why it's it's interesting to. To, to do and the challenge is so so great and so hopefully it will work and give plenty of ideas to campaign overseas internationally uh, from down there so that would be great.
0: And, and have the owners specified who they'd like to write her in Europe or have they just left that to you?
2: Oh no they didn't say anything about that. To be fair Nick I, I was told uh, yesterday afternoon I was getting the feeling so it was really uh, <laughs> it was really uh, I mean they called me three days ago saying oh, we're thinking about it We need to discuss it with the owners. Uh, And then yesterday afternoon on my way to Deauville, I got a phone call saying, actually, she's coming to you at the end of the month. So I was like, wow, great. And then the phone never stopped ringing for the press release and things like that. So everything was uh, uh, very surprising for me, you know. Uh, But it's a a big honor for me uh, in my career and for my team. So I'm uh, very excited. I know it's... It's a big challenge and it might not work, but you owners know that too. So, But I think for the sport, hopefully it will work and that would be great. That would be fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic for the sport. Uh, more immediately, you've got the small matter of the French 1,000 guineas on Sunday, the Pool d'Essé de and Craig Bennett's homebred, Asa Ali. Do you give her a, a little chance?
2: She's a, a filly I really liked last year. She won a group three and then she, she didn't handle the very... The best round of our weekend. Uh, she, I was a little bit disappointed with her comeback in the Prix de la Grotte. She was fourth. Um, a question mark uh, that she can stay a mile. Uh, I think she's more efficient over seven furlongs so in the city. Uh, but she's in very top form. She came out of the race really well. And again, Craig said, Look, we have no, nothing else to race. She's in great form. Just we go for it. That was the plan and hopefully we have a low draw and uh, we, can, we can be close to the pace you know the French guineas can be a, you need a lot of luck in running in that race so hopefully we will have a lot of luck and some of the best fillies in the race won't and <laughs> we can we can have a, a great result but again it's it's great for the own, some owners they don't they're not scared to be beaten you know you need to raise these horses when they're in good form
0: Francis Graffard there and I can't I can't echo those sentiments um, loudly enough. That final line when he said, the owners don't mind being beaten. These horses are here to race. And the fans want to see them. And that's the essence of it all, isn't it, Lydia?
1: I think it is, and you're alluding, aren't you, to the, the Kentucky Derby winner um, not, not turning up for the Preakness, and you, you've put your head above the parabet here and expressed your disappointment in him not turning up, and you've had it blown off, haven't you? Yeah, completely
0: blown off, yeah. The, the, the more zealous um, Twitterati in US horse racing have absolutely torn me to shreds for expressing the view that I, I feel that the Kentucky Derby winner, why wouldn't he go to the Preakness? It's kind of a shot to nothing. He, I'm not going to disrespect him by dogmatically stating that it was a fluke, but he was certainly the beneficiary of extraordinary circumstances in the Kentucky Derby. And if you were talking about what's best for the horse, which is the argument being bandied about, then you wouldn't necessarily have said, given his previous profile, that it was was a given that what was quote unquote, best for the horse going into last weekend was to run in a 20 field Kentucky Derby from the outside gate any more than it is now. Having established himself as a, a horse of some quality, to try and spring another surprise in the Preakness stakes, the trainer says he is a one. The trainer says he's eaten all his food. The basic markers of his well-being are good. Now, I'm not suggesting advocating running a lame horse or an unsound horse or a horse whose well-being may be compromised. Far from it. But you sort of think, what's the point? of the Triple Crown as an entity, as something we've held up as a, the, the most recognisable marker of historical significance in the sport. If a horse who's won the Derby is simply not going to run in the Pregnus because connections feel that it would impinge upon his chance in the subsequent Belmont Stakes. Nobody ever said it was supposed to be easy. Every Belmont Stakes winner in history would have had their chances increased probably by not having had a race in top company three weeks earlier probably i don't know that for certain but the whole concept of it is that it's supposed to be challenging and the fans are owed a horse turning up in the preakness we've asked 19 million people to care about this horse and now he's not going to run and so they'd say to you well why isn't he running is he injured well no he's not injured they just don't feel like it and the other point I was going to say was that they said oh we want to preserve him so that we can pick our way through the season to make him the three year old champion well that's not your call Mm -hmm. you run him in the races and then the races decide whether you're the three year old champion
1: yeah absolutely I agree with, with all of that um, obviously, you can't dictate to owners and trainers where it is they run their horse. They have the prerogative no, exactly. to do that. But at the same time, you are running um, in a sport that is a that, in which the public quite literally have a stake. You know, They help to, to fund this sport. So therefore, in order for the sport to have a healthy long-term future, it has to be relevant now. It has to continue being relevant now. People have to be interested. They have to give us stuff. And part of it is the Kentucky Derby winner running in the Preakness absolutely i suppose the thing that really sticks in my throat about arguments like this is when welfare is used really speciously i think it's really dangerous for uh, people fans of the sport people within the sport to use the w word when welfare is not actually yeah. the issue and i think that is that is incredibly dangerous to the sport because it's a stick they can be beaten with in a different way later yeah
0: i was uh, getting words like welfare Safety. Well there's nothing inherently unsafe, any any more unsafe about that race than there was about last weekend's race. Welfare, safety, what's best for the horse? Well what do you mean by that? Do you mean what's best for the horse? In terms of the horse's health and well-being or do you mean what gives the horse the better chance a, a, a more optimal chance of winning <laughs> of winning the Belmont stakes uh,
1: and retaining his profile I correct. mean they've explicitly said it's to do it's to do with that that is not that that mm. is not welfare no that welfare is an entirely different issue mm. it's a challenging issue for horse racing and people shouldn't be talking about about it when that isn't the issue at hand because it's dangerous
0: Well, you'll have heard on the pod over the last few weeks our desire to promote the benefits of shared ownership. Obviously, we are not alone. A lot of racecourses are getting in on the act. We featured Newbury a few weeks ago, and this week at York, uh, a similar initiative is taking place. Uh, Matty Sterling is responsible for marketing and sponsorship at York Racecourse and is with me now. Uh, Matty, just tell me what's happening on this third and final day of the Dante
3: Festival. So we are joined by 16 syndicates today, who will all be located in the ground floor of our EBOL stand. And they're all here to promote their syndicates and try and entice you to take the next step into racehorse ownership. It's all great fun. We'll also be joined by ROA and GBR, who are part of the scheme running the ownership days across a lot of racecourses in the next few weeks.
0: So a whole range of syndicates. The idea is that perhaps if you haven't been involved in racehorse ownership before, or if you want a new experience, it's a it's a showcase. Really, it's like a, it's a trade fair for, for, for owners
3: yes that's great so it's a trade fair for the syndicates to show um race goers that maybe are a bit too scared to take the next step but really want to have that next level of involvement and showcasing how easy it is to get involved and how affordable it can be and um, if that is what you want to do you know some of them are as little as 50 pound a month which is a meal out or a gym membership and um, and for that you can have a racehorse that you can follow day in day out get updates from the trainers and then hopefully come to the track and have a winner
0: so covering all the bases in terms of the range of syndicates and the cost options available, who have you got um, showing up today?
3: Um, so we have 16 in total, um, but we've got Hamilton Racing, Hampton Racing, Nick Bradley Racing, Onto a Winner, um, as a Major, Titanium, just to name a few, but we have really got a, a great range and um, for all budgets, all locations within the country. There is something for everyone.
0: It's Friday, so it's time to peruse the thoroughbred racing commentary global rankings, which do have a little dynamism this week. And we're also going to be digesting the implications of the Kentucky Derby and the Kentucky Oaks. Right. The top 10 this week are as follows. Uh, Down one at 10 is Hot Rod Charlie, the horse who was so game on the Triple Crown Trail last year. Uh, Down one at nine is Animo for Australia. Down one at eight is Very Elegant. What news we received earlier in the programme that the New Zealand-bred Australian-trained mayor would now join francis graffard what an opportunity for him down one at seven is the japanese star euphoria down two at six is the now retired nicks go steady at five is our old friend zaki and he's got some big days around the corner as well now the most significant climber into the top 10 this week is the best american sprinter jackie's warrior after that dominant performance at churchill downs last weekend He's up to four in the world. Steady at three is Life is Good. Steady at two, Nature Strip. And at one is Golden 60, clinging on grimly to that top spot. But, James Willoughby, before we get into all the uh, American horses, for how long will Golden 60 be in there? Because tomorrow we might see a re-entry into the top ten in the shape of...
4: Baid he left the rankings uh, number 2 in the world with 2077 points at the end of last year top spot is 2044 now obviously because of the lag in time between then and now the rankings will be more uncertain about exactly how good baid is this is a priority in running actually in the lockings but a good performance in the lockings will reassert what he did before and it, we're definitely looking at an, a world number
0: 1 if he wins Right, so definitely a world number one if he wins, and he would usurp Golden 60, who has managed to cling on to that top spot for a couple of weeks now. Um, yeah. The most significant climber, as I was saying, is Jackie's Warrior. Not the biggest climber, but the most significant one, up 11 places to number four in the world. Do you think he got better in winning last weekend?
4: That's a really good question. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. He's taken his game to a new level. This is a horse who's been top class at 2-3 and now 4, with his win in the Churchill Downstakes, stakes, the grade one on derby day been really impressive uh, worth a trc computer race rating which are on the same scale of the world's best racehorse rating which are the world's official the official ratings for racehorses 128 and before that on our system he had 324s one in the champagne stakes one in the hopeful stakes as two-year-olds and one in the alan jerkins as a three-year-old so i think and the rankings thinks more importantly that jackie's warrior is a new horse and he's going to be extremely hard to beat. I thought he
0: was mega impressive. Uh, he was tremendous, and Steve Asmussen yeah. so proud of the horse. You can see yeah. him really fill with pride when he when he talks about him because he's so yeah. so tough. Generally, apart from that one blip at the back end of last year, really consistent, very fast, and very classy. Jackie's Warrior up eleven in four. What Steve Asmussen couldn't do again, but my oh my, how this one must have hurt, was win the Kentucky Derby. Um, to what extent do the rankings believe that Epicenter? Remains the best horse in the race.
4: Well, I think we see how the rankings works perfectly in these instances, where a traditional rating system would have no option but to put Rich Strike above some of the horses he did behind. Obviously, the portfolio approach used by the rankings you can find on thoroughbredracing.com take a more conservative view, and Rich Strike moves up from a position in the 700s, I think 1700s. Sorry, having done nothing really of note before to 132 in the world. His performance rating of 117 is right at the bottom of the range of uh, Kentucky Derby winners. And that's because he was a statistical shock and a betting shock too. Now Epicenter, who was by far the best horse in the race and should have won easily, goes from 33 to 21. Uh, So that means that after the race, he's now the highest rated of all the Kentucky Derby runners, Zandon, who was third, he's actually the second highest rank now, moving from 68 to one to 41. So, epicenter 21, on 41. Simplification it was fourth, stays where he was roughly, he goes from 147 to 143. So, he's fourth, he's slotted in fourth, and Rich Strike is third uh, post the race. And if you want to know how that compares to the classic order that we've seen over here so far, well. Epicenter now being the highest-ranked American three-year-old at 21 compares with Native Trail, who's at 20. He's the highest-rated uh, uh, highest European three-year-old, and Koreabus, who of course who defeated him in the 2000 Guineas, slots at 25. So you can see this is roughly where you would expect to find them uh, on both sides of the Atlantic. But Rich Strike, if he does it again whole different matter then the computer will retrospectively take a more positive view of the kentucky derby and rich strike will will go up not just for winning the next race if he does if he wins the bell once but also he'll get a bigger boost for his performance at churchill downs as well so then he will probably move up into the top 30 or 40 slots
0: what do you make of the decision not to run him in the preakness james he says leading the witness horribly
4: Well, I mean, I agree with you. I know what your view is. I I agree with you. I, I don't see the argument whatsoever. I think this obsession with keeping horses fresh is greatly to the detriment of the sport. And we're seeing over here attendance figures going down. That's for a multitude of reasons not necessarily related to what I'm about to say. But it's pretty obvious that competition drives excitement in horse racing. And the more that trainers look for a reason to hide, rather than a reason to compete, then racers themselves get less exciting, reputations are less on the line, and trainers playing the long game, taking a conservative approach, well, that's greatly to the detriment of the sport. And those that claim that there's some sort of welfare issue involved here, well, that's completely hyperbolic. If it's not safe to run a horse um, after a two or three week break, then it's not safe to run them at all. And citing instances of horses that have suffered breakdowns in the past in the Kentucky Derby. If we've got to the point where the only thing that's important is that that a horse is never at risk, that's cloud cuckoo land. We can't exist like that. Horse racing is a competitive sport where the horses love them as we do and care for them as we do, have to live to some extent on the edge of the physical bounds of competition. It's dangerous out there for them. That is a fact. We do everything we can to take care of them. But if we've got to the point where a Kentucky Derby winner it, it runs scared of running in the Preakness stakes, then the whole triple crown system in American, America completely falls on, flat on its face. And, and we're left thinking, well, you know, what's the point of competition at all? If there's a veterinary reason, I'd totally change my mind. If, if, if the trainer could come out and say, well, the horse is sore, he's, not enough, he's flat as a pancake, he's not working well, totally fair enough. Nobody wants to see a horse like that wrist in a race like the Preakness. But to me, there's absolutely no reason not to go ahead and give the fans of this sport what they want, which is the Derby winner and the free list. Exactly,
0: Exactly. I've, I've taken an awful lot of criticism, as I said earlier in the show about this, and, and I'm perfectly happy to double down on this. And you're only care, you only care about, about the, the TV viewing figures. Well, it's not that I only care about the TV viewing figures, but don't tell me that's not important. Don't tell me it's better for the sport that half the people Tune in for the race because because their interest has been <laughs> has been diminished by the fact that the horse that they've just been asked to care about is not running in it.
4: I understand that we're living in a very sensitive age. Of course I do, and of course you do. And these things are extremely important to anybody that watches horse racing. It's impossible to follow horse racing, watch it regularly, and not care for the horse. That's the whole point of what we're doing. So nobody wants to see a horse ever risk, but. It's getting to the point of being ridiculous if people seem to jump on these instances as a kind of virtue signaling. Yes, if there's a logical reason for a horse not to run. Like I say, if its vet reports come back negative, if there's some physical issue, or if the horse is giving signals to its trainer that it's not right, that's, that's, that's a perfect argument. But philosophizing on, uh, with no evidence whatsoever that a horse shouldn't run a race just because you have some sort of posture about the Triple Crown series being unfair on a horse to me that's illogical there's no concrete evidence for that if you present the data to me and say well rich strike can't run for objective reasons that's perfectly fair but at the moment it just seems we're mired in this argument globally um where people say the welfare of the horse matters more than everything and of course it does but we can't allow that to erode from the very nature of competition Otherwise, we're going to be crowning false champions and we're going to be affording status to horses that don't deserve it. What we want to see is horses have that heroic status that they achieve from a multiplicity of wins, from earning a following from the fans for their exploits. That And part of that is not just ability, but it's toughness, like it or not.
0: You've expressed much more succinctly and much better what I was floundering around earlier on in the programme. Um, let's just... Talk about the, the Preakness then in terms of what might happen should the Philly, Secret Oath, the Kentucky Oaks winner, beat Epicentre, the highest-ranked horse out of the Kentucky Derby.
4: Well, first, this is a real feel-good win, wasn't it, for, for Wayne Lucas, who back in the day established his Hall of Fame credentials once and forever. And uh, to see him uh, in the veteran stage of his career showing that all the ability is still there was, was a very uplifting victory and a Philly who well she showed the merit of competition lucas hadn't been shy of running her against the colts last time and she derived a good deal of seasoning and conditioning from that particular effort moved her forward gave her that toughness in outlook and she went put against her own sex she was much too good she now becomes the world number 84 nick from 374 the runner-up nest ran about as well as we expected, and she stays at one four she, one, moving up from one four six. Same with the third, was it Desert Dawn, 4.05 from 4.10. The slight disappointment to the race, Echo Zulu, is the highest-ranked horse going into the race. She ran really well, of course. She drops down 10 slots from 93 to 103. So you can see from these rankings that TRC computer rankings don't necessarily see this as being a vintage crop of three-year-olds yet. But all that could change if the uh, two sexes co-mingle in competition in future and Secret Oath shows that the girls are pretty good.
0: Well, every week from now on in on the podcast, we're going to aim to highlight the very important work of Racing Welfare. And this is a very good week to start because it's uh, Mental Health Awareness Week and a campaign has been running all week. And Christina Sell from Racing Welfare joins me now to explain a little bit more. Um, Christina, just tell me exactly where your focus has been during Mental Health Awareness Week.
5: Thanks, Nick, and good good morning. Um, Yes, this this year's Mental Health Awareness Week campaign focuses on loneliness. Um, So something that at Racing Welfare, our services focus on quite quite a great deal really as well it's something that um we've worked on with with beneficiaries and, and and internally for for a long time and this year very very pertinent after i suppose a couple of years a hard few years for for a lot of people um but the week focuses obviously on a you know bringing the positive aspects of mental health to the fore as well and looking at though. the looking at ways that we can combat you know challenges that mental health brings but certainly around around loneliness this time around.
0: And how really anybody in the industry can put themselves in a in a better place with the use of 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 your resource and I loved what you developed during during the pandemic just the the service to for people simply to be able to to talk and not feel isolated.
5: Yes, absolutely. So we, um, the team developed Check-In and Chat, which has been so well received and it, we've seen some really, you know, some fantastic case studies out of that, um, which is a service, as we say, with racing welfare volunteers so they also get something out of it and obviously through the pandemic you know ringing people whether it would be weekly um every, you know two weekly monthly whatever it was you know people had someone to chat to if they you know if they felt alone or um or you know just general chit chat could have been about anything um and i think that really supported people and it was just nice to know that we were able to do that and you know that's carried on you know it's still a very popular service
0: and I know you're you're launching this week the awareness of the conference that you're you're having in the autumn. Tell me a little bit more about that.
5: Yes, that's really exciting. So our first our first conference at Racing Welfare it's going to be virtual. It's on the nineteenth of September, um, and it's going to focus on um, healthy people and healthy organisations. So we launched we launched uh, the sale of the tickets yesterday. Um, you can grab an early bird ticket for thirty five pounds, and that's until the first of July. And we've got um, Helen Brewis from Robertson Cooper, who are health and wellbeing specialists. She's going to be chairing and hosting the conference. And then we have keynote speech from uh, sports psychologist Michael Caulfield. And we're going to be announcing the other panellists kind of in the coming weeks and months just to kind of build up that ante and, 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 you know, kind of build some excitement around it too. But yeah, focusing on healthy people and healthy organisations.
0: Well, thanks to Christina and to all my other guests today. Uh, Lydia is still with me and I think has a tip for when.
1: The first race at Newbury today, a horse that I've got a tenth share in, uh, the Horse watches is running. Lul. Yeah, Hathloul is running. And in a race that might finally suit him.
0: What, a strong pace?
1: Mm, exactly, which has been a, a totally um, absent for most of the races he's ever run in over the winter. Decent ground? Decent ground, absolutely. And flat track as well, and a mile on turf. Uh, yeah, Hathlul in the in the one o'clock at Newbury today. And who's riding him? That is Liam Brown. Excellent. Not that one.
0: No, not that one. The, the other the one, grandson. the new one. The, yeah,
1: yeah, he's lovely, actually, Liam. I've, I've um, media trained him. He is a very, very nice young man, and he's also a very talented young man.
0: It'd be even nicer if he delivers you a winner Absolutely. this afternoon. <laughs> um, right, good luck to Lydia. And thank you very much for listening. We will be back again on Monday morning, but from all of us here, bye-bye.